ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible. Turn with us to Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. As today we look at great wonders in heaven. Revelation 12, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. She being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days. We're moving into the second half of the book of Revelation today. The second portion opens with an amazing vision of some great wonders in the heavens. Now, I want to remind you that the book of Revelation is not written in chronological order. Chapters 4 through 9 take us all the way through the end of the tribulation period. Chapters 10 and 11 are passages that stand as, as if they were parentheses in the action. They reveal some of the behind-the-scenes activities of our Lord. Chapter 11 takes us to the very edge of eternity, and it closes with the Lord Jesus claiming his rightful dominion over this universe, and it reveals as the inhabitants of that glorious land praise their king. Chapters 12 through 19 take us back through the tribulation once again. Now while chapters 4 through 9 deal with the timeline or the plan of the tribulation, chapters 12 through 19 deal with the characters or the people of the tribulation. We're introduced to some of the individuals who will figure greatly during this period of time. So we're going to tread once again on ground that we've already visited. As one writer said in Revelation 4 through 9, we see the events of the tribulation through a telescope. In Revelation 12 through 19, we see things through a microscope. In other words, we're about to get into a more detailed look at the events of this period. What is said in chapter 12 is essential to a proper understanding of what is going to be said in the remainder of the book. If we misinterpret things here, we're going to be off track the rest of the way through the Revelation. 
So let's look at these six important verses today and see the truths that's revealed in here as we go through the great wonders in heaven. Now, verses 1 and 2, we see the personality of this woman. The identity of this woman has been the subject of debate and false doctrine, we may, may as well say, for centuries. And let me share a few of those uh, debates or false doctrines with you. First, the Roman Catholics have said that this woman is Mary. There are several reasons why this cannot be true. Mary never ascended into heaven. Mary gave birth on earth, not in heaven. Mary cannot be wedged into verse 6. Two, some believe the woman is the church. However, it was Christ, the man-child, that gave birth to the church and not the other way around. Third, a woman by the name of Mary Baker Patterson, lover Edie, claimed that she was the woman. And the religion she gave birth to in 1879, Christian science, was the man-child. Well, for sake of time, let me just say, it's not her either. So who is this mysterious woman? Well, the clues given in the text tell us all that we need to know about her identity. For instance, in verse 1, we have her description. The woman is clothed with the sun that speaks of heavenly glory. The moon is under her feet. It speaks of dominion and power. She wears a crown that speaks of royalty. The twelve stars speaks of the twelve tribes of Israel. I believe this woman is none other than the nation of Israel. I think this is borne out by a couple of Old Testament passages as well. The first tells us of a dream that Joseph had thousands of years ago in Genesis 37, verses 9 through 11. It's quite obvious from Jacob's reaction to Joseph's dream that the sun, the moon, and stars represent the nation of Israel. The second passage is Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5. There the seed of Abraham is compared to stars. Now this verse reminds us what we already know to be true. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. He chose them out of the nations of the earth for his purposes, and he has not written them off forever. They will once again be clothed with glory and have dominion over the earth. Verse 2, we not only see in verse 1 her description, but in verse 2 we see her destiny. This woman here is in the throes of childbirth. She is in great travail as she's trying to, to bring this child into the world. We're told in verse 5 that her son is to be the ruler of the world. This is a reference to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will say more about him in just a moment. For now, our focus is on the woman. Now, this picture of Israel in childbirth reminds us that it was the nation of Israel God used to bring his Savior, Son, into the world. Jesus Christ is Jewish. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 11, he is called both the son of David and the son of Abraham. When God gave the great prophecy of Genesis 3 and verse 15, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The woman is Israel, and the seed of the woman is the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in Romans chapter 9 and verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, Who are Israelites? to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom 
as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So it was the nation of Israel that God chose to be the womb through which he sent his son into the world. Did you know this, notice that this woman is in travail? She is in labor. She brings forth her son with pain and suffering. And this calls to mind all the pains and persecutions suffered by Israel as Satan tried his best to short-circuit the plan of God. In fact, when Jesus was born, the nation of Israel was writhing under the iron heel of the Roman Empire. So this expected woman is Israel who brought the Messiah into the world. She paid a price for that privilege. And that was her destiny. But not only I want to point out the personality of this woman, but notice in verses 3 and 4, the persecutor of this woman. Verse 3. The next vision is of a great red dragon who has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. Now let's take just a moment and look at the description of the dragon, break it down symbol by symbol. If you remember when we started our study in the book of Revelation, we said the book of Revelation is a book filled with symbols, signs, and wonders, and numbers. So now I want to point out that we see the color red, the color of war, the color of bloodshed. It brings to mind the red horse of Revelation 6 and verse 4. This dragon is a killer. He brings death, war, and bloodshed with him when he comes. Then notice the word dragon. A dragon is a winged serpent. There's no such thing in our natural world but it's a picture of the devil. In fact, we're very safe in identifying the dragon and the devil because of what Revelation 12 and verse 9 says. But then I would also point out to you that seven heads speak of vast intelligence. Dealing with a brilliant and wise creature. Ezekiel 28 and verse 12 says, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Then we notice the horns, ten horns. Horns are a symbol of power. Satan is not all-powerful, but his power is cast. The number ten may refer to a ten-nation kingdom that will figure greatly during the last days. Then we have seven crowns. Crowns are a symbol of authority. It's noteworthy to point out that Satan is still the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. But also we see the reference to the stars of heaven being cast down to the earth by the tail of the dragon. And that refers to us back to the fall of Satan. He has not always been an evil creature. In the beginning, he was the ranking angel in heaven, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 15. But pride was found in Lucifer's heart, and he tried to take God's throne. He tried to overthrow the Lord, according to Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. Lucifer sinned and became Satan. He was cast out of heaven. In Isaiah 14, verse 15, and you can also see that as well in Ezekiel 28, verses 16 through 18. Now, when Lucifer fell, 
he drew one-third of the angels of heaven into his rebellion. They were cast out of heaven as well. We call these fallen angels demons. They're part of Satan's kingdom, and they do his bidding. But notice that Satan is pictured in verse 4 as standing before Israel waiting for the birth of her child. His intention is to destroy the seed of the woman as soon as he is born. And Satan had worked from the beginning of time in order to prevent the birth of the promised seed of the woman. Satan moved Cain to kill Abel, thinking he could stop God's plan. He did not know that God would send Seth. He tried to corrupt the human bloodline by having the godly line of Seth in a Mary with the evil line of Cain. He did not know about Noah and the ark. He aroused Esau to anger so that Jacob might be killed. He did not know God would help Jacob escape. He tried to kill off the Jews in Egypt by having Pharaoh slay all the little boys. He did not know that God would save a little boy named Moses who would lead the people out of Egypt. He tried to lead Israel away into idolatry, thinking God would destroy the nation. He did not see God sending them into captivity, where he would forever rid them of their idols. He failed in every attempt to stop the birth of Christ, and when the time came for Jesus to enter the world, Satan did everything in his power to slay the Christ child when he was an infant. He moved Herod to destroy all the babies in Bethlehem under the age of two, Matthew 2, verses 16 through 18. Which brings us to verse 5, the progeny of this woman. Now this speaks of the seed of the woman. He is called a man-child. The seed of the woman came to the world like every other baby. He came from the womb of his mother. But this child, unlike any other child that had ever or would ever be born, for you see, this seed of the woman was born without a human father. His mother was a virgin, Isaiah 7 and verse 14, Luke chapter 1 and verse 34. And he was and is God in human flesh. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John chapter 1 and verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be with God, but made of himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now it's clear that the seed of the woman is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. His destiny is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This man-child would come into the world and he would one day rule the world. We see that prophecy fulfilled in Revelation 19 and verse 15. He will rule for several reasons. First, he will rule because he created this universe and it is his. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Secondly, 
He will rule because he purchased this world with his own blood when he died on the cross. Revelation 5 and 9. Third, he will rule because he alone is worthy to reign and rule. Revelation 4 and 11. This man-child is pictured being called up to God and to the throne of God. And here's the good news of the gospel contained in this verse. Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, but he did not stay dead. He arose. He arose triumphant over hell, death, and the grave. Three days later, Revelation 1 and verse 18. After he arose from the dead, he ascended back into heaven. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He sat down at the right hand of, of his Father in heaven. Hebrews 1, 3. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. And he will not stay there forever. He is returning for his bride soon. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Then he will come to defeat his enemies and assume his rightful place as king of kings and lord of lords. But in verse 6, I would also point out the protection of this woman. This woman flees from the dragon, and she goes away into the wilderness to hide. We're reminded here that Satan hates the nation of Israel. He has tried to defeat her and destroy her since she first appeared. I've already touched on this in the past. No other nation on the face of the earth has suffered as much as Israel. No other race has been persecuted as have the Jews. The history of the Old Testament is filled with story after story of nations coming against Israel for no other purpose but to destroy her. The pages of history are filled with hatred, persecution, racism, and murder, all aimed at the Jew. Just a couple generations ago, a man named Adolf Hitler did his best to destroy the Jew in what he called the final solution. He did not destroy them, but he did manage to murder over six million in the death camps of Nazi Germany. Joseph Stalin killed millions in the gulags of the Soviet Union. The Jew had suffered, but the Jew has survived. They have survived because of the providence of God. He is not finished with Israel. The only way to get rid of the Jew is to drag the sun, moon, and stars from their places in heaven. The hatred against the Jew is growing ever stronger in our day as the Muslim nations of the Middle East cry for the destruction of the nation of Israel, and this hatred will continue to grow and come to a pinnacle into the tribulation period. And during that time, the Antichrist will bring great persecution upon the nation of Israel and the Jewish people like nothing has ever been experienced. And when that persecution arises, Israel will seek refuge. This was prophesied by our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22. Yet they will survive this as well, for God has a plan for them. Now, let me say this from the onset. Satan hates Israel for two distinct reasons. He hates Israel because she is a constant reminder to him that his power is limited. 
He attempts to destroy Israel, and time and time again she is delivered by the power of God. Satan hates that. He detests this. He also hates her because she is a constant reminder of him, to him of the glory he used to wear. The glory of heaven rests on Israel just as it used to rest upon him. And Israel will find refuge in a wilderness place. Some believe this will be in the ancient Edomite city of Petra. The city is surrounded by towering hills of rust-colored sandstone, which gave the city some natural protection against invaders. The entrance into Petra is through what's called the Sig, a ravine enclosed by immense walls that reach hundreds of feet at, at different places. Its layout makes for a good place to hide and to seek shelter. Back in the 1920s, there was a man in the U.S. known as W.E. Blackstone. This man was so certain that Petra would be the secret hideout of the Jews during the tribulation that he invested $8,000 to place Bibles, boxes of Bibles in all of the caves in Petra so that the Jews would have some interesting reading when they were hiding from the ravages of war. Now, we don't know for certain that this is going to be the place, but it certainly fits, and it fits to be a place prepared for them by God, and he will give them protection from the Antichrist and his armies, all energized by Satan and his hatred for Christ and the people from whom he came. And we're told that in this wilderness refuge, the people of, people of Israel will be taken care of. We do not know who the they are who will feed the Jews, but we do know that for the last half of the tribulation period, 1,260 days, Israel will be cared for. And in spite of the sin, the hatred, and the evil of those days, God will see to it the needs of his people. He will either use friendly nations or supernatural means, but when the tribulation ends and Jesus returns, there will be a remnant of the nation of Israel left, and these faithful Jews will embrace the Lord Jesus, and they will worship him as their Messiah. Now in closing, the Jews are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. According to the Jewish Talmud, Jews are obligated not only to believe in the Messiah, but to yearn for his arrival. Many traditional Jews recite a creed that concludes with this statement. I believe with perfect faith in the advent of the Messiah. And though he may tarry, I will await his arrival every day. During the Jewish Passover Seder, the Passover meal. There's a tradition of opening the door for Elijah, who will precede the coming of the Messiah. What they don't understand is that Messiah has already come, and his name is Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel gave birth to their long-awaited Messiah, yet they failed to recognize him. Apostle John said in John 1, verses 10 and 11, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, 
and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Messiah died on Calvary's cross. He was buried, he rose from the dead on the third day, and was called up to heaven where he awaits the hour when he will come back to rule and reign upon the earth. That is the truth these verses emphasize. God has a plan for the ages. That plan will be worked out in his way, in his time. I wonder, are you a part of God's plan? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have your sins been washed away by the blood of the crucified and risen Savior? Are you born again? Are you saved? Are you living for him as you should? Are you thankful that he saved your soul? You might want to talk to him about your relationship. You might want to thank him for saving you. You might want to come pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As Psalm 122, 6 denotes. If there are needs in your heart, I trust you'll bring them to Christ. If there are needs in your soul, bring them to him today. Christ is coming. He could come at any moment. Look at the world around you. Everything is prime. Everything is ready for Jesus Christ to appear at any moment. Come to Christ. Come to Him now. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.